Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're joined again this week by JB, and we are, of course, again, powered by Code Sports. I have with me Pistol. How are you? I'm good, but it is absolutely bucketing down behind me. So if that's being picked up on the podcast, I very much apologize, but I cannot control the weather. I mean, it'd be cool if I could, but... I I just asked how you were. I didn't ask about the weather. Sorry. Um, I'm fine. Thank you. Good, good to know. Um, all right, we're going to start off this podcast before we get into housewarming or housewarming, housekeeping even. Um, <laughs> we're going to start off with, with story time. So um, a Slack question has come through, a podcast question from Marcus. He wants to know how your hamstring is. So I want you to tell a bit of a story, Pistol, as to how your weekend went. All right, I'm going to set the scene. Buddy Franklin has just kicked his third goal. He's on 999. I turn to JD. We were at the footy together from Fantasy well, give Footy the plug, Take. Give the plug. Yeah, no, Fantasy Footy Take TV. Um, we did a crossover podcast. JD and I got along very well. We went to the footy together. Happened to be this game. Fantastic. I mean, I say happened to. I mean, yeah, happened, planned, I guess. That's what happens at the, these football <laughs> games. Um, yep. Hits the third quarter. We're like, we, we got to go. Like, we got to go down to the aisle. So we get up and we walk to the top of the stairs and... All of a sudden, everyone starts running. And we're like, I don't know why we're running, but we're at the front. So we're just going to run to keep ahead of everybody. So we run downstairs. Wait, wait, can I pause you for a second? We're on level two. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. I just want to know, like, everyone in the stadium immediately after he kicked his third goal, were they all, like, standing? What was the... 
No, so was it no, like a directive to move or no? No one moved right until like he when he marked the ball for his third. I think like oh, I think I can't remember which one he marks. Either way, no one had moved yet. He kicks the goal, and then I'm like, oh, let's you know, let's go up, let's go wait. And he's like, yeah, okay, we'll go wait. So then we get up, and then like some people start standing up, and then when we like kind of got into where you buy drinks and food everyone was just like getting out of their seats and running down. I think everyone realized like, holy moly, he could yeah. kick a thousand in the next 10 seconds. Yeah, um, wow. So everyone just like kind of got up. And when I say like everyone, like the entire stadium. Yeah, the, every every upper stand was empty from the camera shots that, that we saw. There's no one around. Everyone got out and then they started running. And I didn't really know why we were running. I guess up to get like as close to the field yeah, as yeah. possible. And we were right kind of near the staircase to go down a level. So we just saw, I looked back and I was like, geez, there's a lot of people running. And then I'm like, you know what, we just, let's run. So I think it's not like we communicate and was like, oh yeah, I'm going to run. You should run. It was just like, this is happening now in the moment. Like we're go. just bolting down the stairs. Um, and we just like ran into the first aisle that we could see, which happened to be the forward pocket. Um, I guess the, the forward pocket on the same side that Buddy kicked a goal, but the other pocket, Opposite, not the close yep, one. Yep. Um, closest to where the ball landed, I guess. And um, we, we just like got relatively close to the field, probably 10 seats back. And we were waiting in that aisle for like 30 minutes um, until wow. Buddy kicked the goal. But in that aisle, everyone was excited. Everyone was happy. We were talking to like all these, all the randoms there. Everyone wanted to chat. Everyone was there for one reason. Like we were all there to storm the field when Buddy kicked it. And it was going to be like this amazing, memorable moment shared between all of us. So it was like smiles all around. Everyone was in a good mood. Um, it's incredible. It was like an electric atmosphere. I haven't felt anything like that before. And, you know, every time Buddy got near the ball, it, 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 people would go crazy. Um, but when he marked it, we all kind of knew that he was just going to kick the goal. I don't think anyone there was like, oh, yeah, we're going to have to go to a score review and uh, make sure he's got... Like, everyone was there knowing... I mean, at that point, he's kicking for his life, right? Yeah. Like, like the, pressure, the pressure is unbelievable. He just has to kick that goal. He's not missing. I don't think anyone thought he was going to miss once he marks it. No. We were like, "Where this is happening. Like, get ready to yeah. run. Um, and as soon as he left the boot, the first, the first people just start to obviously jump the fence, right? So, it was just go time. Um, and then we were How just like running. How close did you get? And people were getting like... Um, it's hard, like the fence is quite high to jump. Um, and for some reason, the people in our row, which there was an emergency exit kind of to get onto the field, you could just open the gate. They were still jumping it. <laughs> and it was just like the person in front desperate, of me. Desperate times. Yeah, we just like opened the gate when we got to the front and then just ran onto the field. I'm like, why are you guys jumping it? But um, <laughs> yeah, we sprinted on quite early. So got to see Blitzavs um, walk straight past us, which was pretty cool. Um and I don't care about blitzers. I want to know if you got to touch Buddy's <laughs> bicep or something. Like, is there how close no, did you get? No, I couldn't run that far because after I pulled my hammy, I, I was really <laughs> severely uh, limping oh, no. um, to get into the middle <laughs> of the ground. Um, so, you know, JD and I got quite buried in the middle of the mosh pit, um, yeah, which was yeah. crazy. People. We um we got wedged kind of with Callum Mills, which was hilarious because he's just like giggling like a schoolgirl, and he was just like, "This is awesome." And, and yeah. We're just it's like, crazy to think what the footy players are thinking. You know, they're halfway through doing their job, they're like they're <laughs> at work, and then all these people just run on and start hugging everyone, and it's, it's like what is going on? Uh, it's something that we'll never—I don't think we'll ever see it again in our lifetime. To be honest, footy would no. have to change 
significantly in terms of the rules and and just how how it's played. It's so much more tactical, so much more defensive. Um, coaches are a lot smarter. I don't think we see it again, and I think it's unbelievably special to even have watched it live. Like I, I, I pulled my wife into the room and. She like she didn't know what was going. On. She was like, "Oh, you know, what does he do? Does he run around the ground giving high fives to all the crowd members?" I'm like, "Let's just we wait and see." <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, it, it was incredible, and like, it gave me goosebumps sitting on the couch. I couldn't imagine being there. So, what a what an unreal opportunity! Oh, it was insane. Like, yeah, Callum Mills was like wheezing, weaveling his way through the crowd to try and get out to the bench, yeah. um, and everyone was like just so excited. Like, everyone was there. Um, it felt like for this like five minute period. Just everyone was super happy and everyone loved yeah. everyone and it was just like a really nice moment. Um, and, then, and then people started oh. throwing ashes around and, and throwing picnic <laughs> blankets down and it got weird. I mean, there was barely <laughs> any space for that. So they, they must have chose their timing pretty yeah, well. Must have, must have happened as people were like sort of dispersing off the ground again. No, and then, and then there was a nice moment. Like as people were leaving as well, everyone, the whole mood had changed. Like everyone was like, I can't believe we just wit- witnessed this. Like, this is never going to happen again. Like, it was such an honor and pleasure to be there. Like, it's a moment that will just, like, be with you for your rest of your life. Like, a core memory is now going to be with me for the rest of life that I was there with my father-in-law and with JD. And now we've just got this unbreakable bond, I guess, um, right. of three of us. Have you told him that? We all know. It's it's like an unspoken, this is a memory that we're going to remember for the rest of our lives. To have I think together. that's amazing. It was just a very yeah. special thing to be able to be there and be part of it. I, yeah, I, I wish everyone could have been there. I mean, the crowd would have been, you know, the field would have been packed. But uh, unbelievable moment, especially for someone, you know, people who care so much about football, like to be there and be in that moment. It was like mm. nothing I've ever experienced before in any sporting moment. It was just unbelievable. That, that's like I, I think things are amazing. Like I was at the Port game on the weekend, unfortunately, but at the seven minute mark, this unspoken thing of like I heard a bit, a, bit, a little bit of clapping starting, and this was like nothing came out from the club to my knowledge. Like, supporters must have spoken about it somewhere, but like I didn't know what was happening. But as soon as I heard clapping, I looked up at the minute mark, and it was the seven minute mark. So like I stood up and started clapping, and everyone stood up and started clapping, and things like that in football it just makes our game so unique. And obviously, this was for. Um, Russell Ebert, who passed away, and, and we weren't able to celebrate last year. Um, who's obviously a legend of our club, so it goes without saying, rest in peace. But like things like that, it just brings like you just look around and everyone's just united. They're all clapping. Uh, Hawthorne supporters were up and they were clapping. It's just like the best thing that football was just the best for that sort of th- stuff. And it's like this stuff just gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Like it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, all right, well, that's story time. Thanks for yep. joining us. Um, we'll get you a catchy next podcast. <laughs> um, I got some patrons to run through. We've got some new sign-ups for the week, uh, and then we'll jump through the Cancer Council and get into the podcast. It's, it's going to be a really, really important in-depth podcast that we've got here for this week because the trades are very, very difficult. So quickly, we've got the new sign-ups, Sam Pollack, Darren Gresham, father of uh, Jack, uh, Jade, Jade Gresham. Yep. Uh, I forgot his name for a second there. Lachlan, Cam, Bubs, Hamish McShane, Jerry, and Tom Craigie. So thanks to everyone, the eight new faces that we have in our Slack now. So I hope everyone's grabbed a profile picture and dug right in. And we got a few Cancer Council donations, a couple of very generous Cancer Council donations, should I say. They're all generous, but- They're all generous, JB. Very generous. Very, very much so. Um, 
to anonymous where the comment is slack is a place where dreams come true thank you very very much for your incredibly generous donation um i am grateful that you enjoy slack that much um so that means a lot to us and the cancer council uh scott barker says another ton for doherty another donation for me which i hope doherty tons up every single game because lots of people seem to donate every time he does well so um maybe next time let us know exactly what the deal was because I think I missed it and now I'm just kind of trying to follow it. It must just be tons for Doc. Every time he tons up, there's like a $5 pledge, I think. That's awesome. And obviously, so you know, linked to the Cancer Council. So hopefully we can get Ben Cunnington back this year and do the double header on that one and try and raise money. Be That'd great. be awesome. Um, Luke uh, Trawane says, Bet Dacos <laughs> <laughs> would outscore Rochelle. Happy to lose to a good cause, especially when the pies still got the chocolates. Um, hmm. characteristically low score I think for Dacos might be one of his low scores for the year probably ever maybe ever maybe ever you're right it's true he's at the gun um, thanks Luke <laughs> Jay has donated for some questionable comments about the Hawks versus Port game in Slack sorry guys I don't know what the context is but thank you very much for your donation <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the context either I was at the game so I was trying not to be on Slack but appreciate it Jay thank you uh, to Meso who's donated for dumb things um, he says, I'm a silly bugger because uh, O'Driscoll decided to play, so I missed Neil's VC and I had to Captain Steel instead. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Does, does Mesa know that the O'Driscoll sub was announced on like Tuesday? I guess he did not notice. Um, okay. I apologize, Mesa, for not letting you know earlier in the week, I guess. Uh, missing a 198 hurts a lot as a VC. Mm. <laughs> um, to Razor, who has uh, said for claiming in round one that Boke always plays well against Port Adelaide and then forgetting yep. to donate. I remember that. <laughs> Pretty funny. <laughs> An extra five for putting the VC on McCartan instead of McRae. <laughs> What's happening? Which forced me to Captain Neil instead. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I mean, everything I think turned out well there from Razor. I remember calling out the Boke thing because I, I remember saying he must just play well in intra club matches. That's where he scores a lot of his points in the in the preseason. So that was a funny comment. That um, appreciate that from Razor. But didn't need to do that. We are now up to seventeen thousand six hundred and ninety-five raised for the Cancer Council since we started the podcast. So well on our way to hitting the twenty k goal, which would be phenomenal. So thanks very much, everyone, for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, amazing, incredible support, and obviously always appreciative um, of anything people can put in. So. Very, very thankful. I think we are very blessed to, to be in an opportunity to sort of be putting this out there. So um, having said that, I think we're going to just dive into the podcast now. So um, those who like structure, I'm sorry, there's not going to be much of one. Um, there's a lot to discuss. I don't think going through team by team, game by game is going to quite get the open discussion that we're looking for. So I've broken it down into um, discussing defenders, midfielders, rucks and forwards. However, um, because of the swings and the the avenues that trading out players on one side of the field open, um, it's going to be fairly fluent pistol. So I hope it's fluent enough for people to just keep up with because uh, there's a lot to discuss today, a lot to discuss. So I'm going to start us off. It's daunting. This is very, it's very daunting. daunting. Where do I start, essentially? I'm going to start in defense because that's just the easiest place. It's at the top of our screen. Okay. Um, but where this discussion takes us, I have no idea. I'm going, to start about, I'm going to start with Lockie Whitfield. I think he opens up a lot of avenues to discussion. 
Um, I'm going to start by asking how much of the GWS game you watched. Well, after the backlash of last week, I watched zero this week. Backlash. <laughs> um, I mean, fair enough. I, I watched yeah, the entire thing. Do you want me to quickly just run through what I saw? Please. Please. <laughs> it's on you this week. <laughs> okay. So, I'm going to start by saying Whitfield did not look injured. Um, look, he, he didn't he didn't look as healthy as I've seen him, but he didn't look to be carrying an injury. So, I don't know if he's if the whole best preseason ever was a, an exaggeration or a lie or if he is carrying something undetectable to the naked eye, but he didn't run, essentially. The, the coach sent him out there with concrete boots on, and I'm more inclined, just due to the, the what I did see, I was watching him like an absolute hawk, whether he had the ball or didn't have the ball, wherever he was on the pitch, I was watching him. Um, it seems to me more like a direction from the coach uh, to play a slower game style and to do less of the run and carry work. And not just to Whitfield, but to... I mean, I noticed Josh Kelly as well. And Canelo, for such a quick midfielder, had about one running bounce, which was maybe equal high for the entire team, I'm not sure. They just seemed extremely slow. Um, Hesitant to switch to the open side and get some running. Hesitant to um, kick and then sort of run on for the hand pass. Hesitant to do anything that didn't involve pretty much chipping it up the wing. Um in some fashion, not even through the middle of the ground, just up the wing until they could sort of banging an inside 50. And like, I, I mean, no disrespect to Richmond because obviously they're very talented and they're more on the, um, what's the word? They're more on the experienced side in terms of athleticism and, and ability in the midfield, but they must be one of the slowest midfields in the competition. And they destroyed midfield with leg speed as destroyed GWS with leg speed. Um, from the midfield throughout the entire game. So I, I'm, I'm just confused. I think it's a GWS directive. I think it's a coaching decision to play in such a way. And I think it really, really heavily impacts Whitfield. And I just, I don't know how sustainable it is, but we're really trusting Leon Cameron to coach well. And it scares the absolute out of me. So <laughs> what what are your thoughts, Pistol? Because it's just... This one's been eating away at me since I watched the game, essentially. Well, just to put some data behind what you're saying, um, GWS had 129 marks on the weekend, which you don't typically fluke. Uh, That is well, well above the AFL average. Um, Most of the teams get in any given week, like in the 80s probably. So that seems like a coaching decision to chip the ball around a lot more, which does back up what you're saying in that they were more chippy than run and gun. Um, that's a complete, you know, 180 from the first week uh, where they will basically just use the corridor and burst of speed at all costs, um, which again, in the first week probably is not great for Whitfield because he was hanging a bit wide hoping to get, you know, run up the wing and they just went directly down the middle um, mm. most of the game. So I'm not, I don't feel great that a player that I own is so heavily impacted by the coach. I mean, obviously every player in the AFL is impacted by a coach, but to such an extent, it definitely varies based on player and based on team. And GWS are not uh, a team that gives like the most foremost uh, forthcoming with their information. Let's put it nicely. Yeah, correct. Um, so I don't, I don't love that a player that I have is like fully reliant on that. And whether or not his role is there, we don't. It's hard because, like you say, we don't know what the team plan is. We don't know what his role is. Um, you know, there's. 
there's just not that much information. But the things that we do know is he's averaging 71 and a half. He just put out a 70 on the back of more kickouts than he had in the first week. How many um, kickouts? Sorry, do you know that stat? How many kickouts he had this week? Uh, I did just close it accidentally. I always do that. I like talk about a point, and I'm like, "Well, it's done now. I don't need to." I did the I did the same thing with crossing it off. Yeah, um, I only I asked that because he had he had 23 disposals, and I think he had about four or five kickouts. Yeah, yeah, I've just read um, the page. So which you can do this which, live. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right. I'll keep talking though. Um, he had he had 23 disposals, about four or five kickouts, which means he accumulated less than 20 touches in open play. And considering kickouts are kickouts, if you take a few of those kicks away, he he probably had more handballs than kicks in open play. That is very very unlike Whitfield. Last year he went at a two to one kick to handball ratio. He's never had. I mean, he one to three, one point three to one, one point six to one, one point five to one. He always kicks significantly more than he hand passes. And on the weekend, it looked like besides the kick ins, which are sprucing the numbers up a little bit, he had more hand passes in open play, which frightens me. It's not like Whitfield to do so. No, I mean that's you'd say absurd, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. not what we are expecting at all. Um, in terms of kick ins, which I did, I just close. I meant to put it open. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm struggling here. Uh, no, I've got, I've got it. No, I actually don't know how to use the... I, I was on my computer and I don't know how to use the app, so I'm, I'm struggling. I apologize. Okay, um, we can we can move on if you want. We're going to have to move on. This okay, is, well, let's just assume he had four or five because I, I saw at least three and I, I might have missed one or two. No, it's a stupid app. I don't know. I can't use it. They should make it easier to figure <laughs> it's out. It's fine. It's fine. I've, I've made my point about the kicking and the hand passing. Well, look... Either way, he's averaging 70 now, which is a bit of a concern. His break-even is 151, so he's going to drop 34K. Usually it doesn't matter how much they drop if they're a keeper all season, so it doesn't matter if you're planning on holding him. It doesn't matter if you're planning on trading him or if you're on the fence and you might trade him later because you get less value when you do trade him. Um, look, I don't really want to fence it. If I have to trade out a premium in my entire team, he would be the guy that is my number one trade out option, not just because he's scored the worst, which is true, but because he hasn't looked good in either game. So I, I wouldn't say he's particularly passing the eye test either. I mean, I watched that first game very well. I did. I only missed two games this week, which was the GWS game and the Melbourne game. Yep. Um, but he didn't pass the eye test. He, 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 he looked, he looked he didn't atrocious. Two games he hasn't passed the eye test. We're worried about his role. We're worried about his coach. I mean, he's got Gold Coast this week at home, which is a great fixture. So for those that do want to hold, um, you know, it's a good time to bounce back. But if he puts out another 70 next week, it's 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 almost panic stations, right? If he puts out three 70s in a row. Um, mm. And he's and he's lost money at that point as well. The, the yeah. thing that scares me, I think, and when I sort of talk to myself about um, trading him or not trading him, the thing that scares me is the just the scenarios either way. If I trade him out... If I make the most of that trade and get someone I'm confident with, then I can live with having to trade him back in eventually. And if he turns around and he's good from next week, it's going to sting a little bit because I think he's capable of being good any given week because he's a good player. Um, But as long as I nail the trade-in target, um, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. If I keep keeping him and lose money and lose points and the aggressive player's go beyond and beyond that that actually scares me and the options in a week's time after he's lost for example 30 40k 
all of a sudden the downgrade options, Bowie or um, I don't know what other cheaper defenders you're considering, Hewitt, they've, they've made a stack of cash. They become so much less attractive in a week's time and Whitfield is still the same level of attractiveness in, in which you, you're going to want to trade him out. So I, I just, it, the pros and cons for Whitfield have been weighing on me and, and the cons just weigh heavily as the week goes on. The pros just seem less and less likely as the week goes on. So um, I don't know if you if you think a similar type of way, but he just scares me. He scares me to own at the moment. I, I think there's more of an opportunity cost here when you're holding him and not getting somebody else who's done extremely well and looks very good. So maybe there's some other players that you'd recommend pivoting to, but, but off the top of my head, I mean, there's three main guys that have started hot at the premiums, yep. I guess you'd call them. Um, Hall, Short, and Hewitt, I think, are the big yep. three, right? Absolutely. So if you're missing one of those guys, you're, you are costing your side because you're holding Whitfield now over one of them. I would say all three are players that I would be... I mean, to different extents, but all three are players that I'd recommend bringing in um, if you're... If you're if you're on the Whitfield off bandwagon, yeah. So I think Hall and Shaw are three easy, great selections. I think those two go without saying to be top six. I think they go without saying to be guys who could potentially price you out. I think they they tick every single box for me. Their role is safe, etc. I could go on. Hewitt. Doesn't quite tick as many boxes, but I completely understand and and wouldn't want to be responsible for talking anyone out of that pick. He he just is a little bit more speculative, so I'm I'm hesitant to name him in the same category as those two Ubers who are guaranteed. Um, just because I, I just I'm not completely sold on Hewitt, and we can talk about him next. We could we could talk about him now if you if you want, but it's it's just I suppose Whitfield pivots. I want to be extremely safe. I don't want to regret the trade both ways. I just, if I regret the Whitfield side of it, it is what it is. I don't want to regret the guy that I traded in. No, that's a big thing. The worst worst case scenario, and and we'll probably pivot back to this later. I'm um, certain we will. Is trading Whitfield to somebody who is also not a good pick. Like you're yep. you're getting rid of a premium in your side. So the person you need to bring in has to be, or you know, part of a multi-trade or whatever it is. But you need to be getting at least a premium back who's good. Yeah. Because the whole point in trade, you never really want to trade your premiums unless it's like to better your team. Um, so bringing in like a risk is never like a really good idea. Um, that being said, I think, I mean, we need to talk about Hewitt. Um, yeah, let's go to it. Let's go to Hewitt. Look, we saw Walsh come back in the side and unfortunately yep. Chera was out of the side so we didn't get to see all of the midfielders running around together which is something that we identified that we wanted to see you know early in the season and again unfortunately Walsh came back really quickly so it's hard to tell if like his role is what it's going to be moving forward or if his role is you know he was more outside to protect his ankle or whatever it might be which totally could be a truth I'm just going to say from like what I've seen in now these two weeks, as well as the preseason game, the preseason game, um, Hewitt looked really good, and he looked good in the practice match as well, and that's why people started him because he looked really good and he was playing as an inside midfielder. Since then, in his first two games, he's looked he looked really good last week. We just said in the podcast, and this mm-hmm. week again, 
He looked really good, JB. Like, he's looked good every time he's played so far this season. And watching him this week, he had so many clearances and contested possessions and was feeding the midfield. Like, that, this, this, wasn't, this wasn't a Richmond midfield that Carlton beat. This was a Bulldogs midfield that they convincingly beat. And it was pretty much on the back of him and Cripps winning clearance after clearance and him being able to feed it out and be so clean with the football. And I know it was a lot of handballs and it wasn't like great for his super coach in that he just handballed all the time for the entire game and barely kicked the ball. But it won Colton the game. And because it won Colton the game, it makes me think this is going to be their center bounce, I guess, major rotations throughout the season like when you want the game on the line when you want to win against a tough team like these are the guys that are going to be in the midfield and you check the center bounces at the end of the game there was 33 for Carlton Cripps had 28 and Hewitt had 28 yep. Kennedy okay. had 21 Pitney 22 and Walsh had 18 right so mm-hmm. Hewitt was in nearly every single one for the entire game he probably missed the five because he was resting on the bench honestly so it's not like we're talking about a guy who's fifth in line for the midfield anymore. I think there's now enough data that he's probably, you know, up there at the third in the line um, and could rival maybe Walsh, depending on what Walsh's role is going to be this season, which I don't don't know yet. Um, and I, I do think it's it'd be foolish to say Cherry's going to have zero impact on Hewitt. Like, there's going to be some impact. But Carlton are not going to be playing, like, Fisher and Setterfield in their CBAs anymore when Chero's back. It's going to be those five guys and three yeah. of those five guys in every single bounce for the entire match. No one else will get a single one. We've seen Voss's coach's style is like very much picking his midfielders and staying true to them for the entire time, like not having everyone get a go. So I'm sorry, JB, I'm talking a lot and not letting you talk. No, no, um, no. I'm, I, I'm really like... I'm genuinely like cogs are ticking over in my head as you're speaking. Um, <laughs> no, like it's genuinely. I, I need to hear this because my first five questions back to you have genuine have been answered. Um, so first of all, I wrote down the midfield for Carlton as Walsh creeps, and then I, I, wrote, I did like a line with Chera, Hewitt, Kennedy, all in the same sort of mix. Now, when you quoted those CBAs back to me, um, that made me cross that out <laughs> and rewrite it. So. Um, I think there's a completely reasonable scenario in which it's Cripps and Hewitt, and then Walsh is either on the wing or in the CBA. I think he gets more CBAs than he does wing time um, for obvious reasons. He's obviously a superstar, but he's he, he was nearly All-Australian on the wing. It's it's He's not a slouch there, whereas Hewitt, I, I don't know where else he goes on the on the field. So it makes sense that Walsh does play a little bit more wing than he did last year. And then Chera and Kennedy, they're both in incredible form, but Kennedy has shown that he can be dangerous up forward, and I think Chera has shown that he can be dangerous on the wing. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is the concern that I did have over Hewitt and just the other names being either as good or better than him, sort of when you look at it more realistically, it makes more sense for their their team makeup to have Cripps, Hewitt, and then... Walsh, Chera, Kennedy as the the guys in brackets um, that are going to go through there and still be impactful a- anywhere else on the ground that they go. And I think that's the most important part. Great. I'm, I'm very glad you said all that, very much so. Um, I think the thing is as well, um, it's not like 
it's not like he's had these numbers and he's averaged, you know, 105. And now when Cher is coming back, we can say, okay, reasonably enough, he might lose uh, 10 points per game. And now he's going to average 95 for the rest of the season. And I think that would be kind of, that that was my expectation um, when I started the season. I thought, this guy's not, like, he's good, but he's not, like, ultra premium level good. So if he averages 105, which is bloody good as a midfielder, Mm. And if he loses 10 points when there's a full midfield contingent, you know, that seems reasonable. Um, But in his first two games, he's put out a 131 and then he backed it up against a better midfield and he scored 117 points. He's averaging 124. And JB, I'm not saying, you know, he minus 10 points and he goes down to 114 average for the rest of the season. It just means that instead of me picking him as my D6, thinking he's going to go 95, I could probably pick him as my D6 thinking he can go 100, but he probably still has that 105 upside hidden. Yeah, in uh, definitely in this role he does. Yeah, I, I think I agree. 105 upside seems pretty obvious at this point, and you'd have to be using quite a lot of confirmation bias against him to, to say that he can't, from what you've seen so far, go 105. And we add one more midfielder into that mix, one more person who can play multiple positions, which Hewitt can't really. And what's it? how's it really going to affect him? He's not going to average 120 plus, yeah. but is he really going to go down to a 90 average, making him someone who you'd want to trade out in eight weeks? Would do we? I mean, I had Stephen May as my D6 last year. Like, 90 averages actually might not be terrible at D6 as a worst-case scenario. It's not something that you'd openly sign up for, but if that's what people's worst-case scenarios are, then... At 400k, I think we just need to seriously look at the price tag again and think uh, I could probably sign up for that upside. It just, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm coming around to the pick as we speak. So, so keep if speaking. that's <laughs> if that if that's happening live on the podcast, then I, I can only assume what we're saying is bringing other people around. I want to discuss more players. Wait, uh, before think- we do that, I'm just going to just mention one more thing because it, yeah, go for it's, it. it's the yeah. one of the main reasons I want to get in this week. Um, and that's the the upcoming fixture for Carlton. And I know we'll mention again when we go through Crips, but going up, they've got Hawthorne next week. Um, if you weren't paying attention last week, Port Adelaide midfielders all scored absolutely bonkers super coach points, even in a 10-goal drubbing. So I would expect... To say drubbing, but... Sorry, man. Um, I expect Carlton midfielders to also do very well against Hawthorne, um, which includes you. And then you've got Gold Coast, Port Adelaide, Fremantle, North Melbourne, Adelaide, GWS in a row. I mean, that fixture is like beyond soft, really. Um, so if there's a time, it's not like too late. Oh, I've missed Hewitt's two scores. He hasn't gone up in price yet. So you're not, you, you've not missed out on any money and he's got a really good fixture run. So like now's the time to jump on if you didn't have him. And yeah, you, you miss out on his two scores, but you, you you know what will be worse missing out on five more scores <laughs> yeah yeah definitely all right sorry i've, I've had my rants. no I, I i agree i genuinely agree I, I think we've come to the the same spot here on on the hewitt chatter and again i don't want to like as as much as i didn't want to talk people off of him at the start i don't want to heavily drub him into sides either because i can understand people having reservations reservations is yeah. that the word for that yeah i mean cool. chera comes in and he just goes out of the cbas completely unexpectedly it's i don't think he goes out though i, I <laughs> think out, i think but, if say yeah. say carlton regress back to the the mean and 
and um, Hewitt loses three or four CBAs, arguably could go just 95 and just be uninspiring. And that that's yeah. a scenario, but it just... The Colts are good this season. Yeah, they're, they're good. Like, they're I good, think, right? I think Voss like is They're going to make the eight. <laughs> yeah, I think Voss is just a good coach. Uh, if they lost to Bulldogs, which would have just been fine because I don't think anyone really penciled them in for a guaranteed win there... Um, then I would have said that they would be around the 10 to sort of 8 mark and, and just fit in around that pack. I think they're pretty, like, the, the top 8 spot is pretty much in their hands. It's yeah. just whether they sort of jump on it or not. No, completely agree. Um, and, and they should be almost, <clears throat> you know, after the first nine games, they're, they're going to be like 8 and 1 or 7 and 2, most likely. We'll discuss Cripps again, obviously. We'll discuss him shortly, but he's another huge factor in that. Um, just lastly, before we move on from the defenders, Chapman. Um, I know you've got him in your side. Uh, I think he's a must-trade out this week. I think we both agree with that. There's not really discussion I think he can hold, because he, he's look, not going to... okay. You can hold, he's not but again, again, as I said, the options just get worse next week, I think. Yeah. And you're counting on someone like Skinner, O'Driscoll, or Sin... Um, to bow you out. And I don't think any of those three are good picks. Um, O'Driscoll was obviously the sub this week for Fremantle, played a little bit. He looks like a good player, by the way, but I, I just don't think he has the job security. Um, Sin definitely doesn't have the job security. Might not even play next week. Uh, Skinner probably has three or four weeks in him before Cleary comes back. Um, Trent McKenzie, I don't think is a, is a harsh injury, so let's obviously wait on news there. But um, I don't think you want to count on any of those three. And if you do wait a week, then all of a sudden Bowie and Hewitt almost become unattainable as, as options. Well, Bowie definitely does. Hewitt, you just have to pay up a little bit more for. So let's discuss trading him out. Yeah. Look. What, what are your best options for... Can, can you go through just about all your options and then sort of just talk about them as as you like one more than the other type of situation because I know you've looked into this one you've got him sure in your side I'm I'm sad about it but um yeah sorry I think Chapman to Hewitt is probably the easiest one not easiest to do but easiest in terms of number one option this week um if you can afford to do that I think it's almost an absolute no-brainer um for all the reasons we liked Hewitt just before and for all the reasons we don't like Chapman right now um it's a really good time in terms of timing to pull that trigger I mean that's that's like 40 points a game gain at this point (laughs) um which is awesome so that's probably my number one option to be honest number two option it's a dramatic drop off from that point onwards I think if you're trying to then still chase cash you're probably looking at Jake Bowie's got you know that 151 in in his break even which means even if he's bad for the next couple of weeks is still going to make you 100k so yep it's it's not a bad situation to be in um probably my third option is just to hold this week for more information and deal with other fires in your side um until you can upgrade to him and then probably my fourth option is downgrading him um to a rookie although that if it enables I, I'm not totally against getting a rookie if it enables two other really good moves in your side. I just, in terms of my rating, it's probably my least favorite. But it definitely can, for the right team in the right situation, um, it, it can be a good thing. Yeah, I think you underrate um, 
the potential of Gibkiss putting out a, a rare good score and and just being fine. And with that money from going down to Gibkiss, people could do a similar pivot that they're doing with the Whitfield down to Hewitt money and open up a Crips um, or a uh, Degoy or something, depending on where they're looking elsewhere. So I'm not going to rule that option out completely. I own Gibkiss. I think he's difficult to trade in based on the fact that he's put out two scores of 50, uh, sorry, 48 and a 56, I think, from memory. Um, that that don't look inspiring. He's obviously an elevated price as well, but he's just better than the field. Skinner, Nod, and Sin um, just aren't good enough, and they're not trading options. Gibkiss at least offers you um, job security, and... I think I think he eventually makes that money. He's not. He's obviously not going to be quick off the blocks. He's going to make it tomorrow, but he, he's going to eventually make you that money. And I think there are just worse options than that. I think holding him is probably a worse option than that. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, <laughs> Bowie. Well, that kind of, the Chapman chat kind of talked about Bowie. Um, we've obviously mentioned him as a potential Whitfield option and as a potential Chapman option at this point. I suppose it's just what do you know about Bowie that people considering him trading him in after he's played nine matches of AFL football? Um, what do you know that they don't type of situation? So I've watched Bowie in every game he's played except this week, ironically. Um, so I will put my hand up. <laughs> Missed a good one. Yeah, I know. And I will say that during the week, I will re- I will go and watch um, the match because... It's just so important to see how he looks this week because every week I've watched him um, so far, he's been a really good player. He just hasn't been a good super coach scorer, which is totally fine. Obviously, not everyone can be amazing super coach players, um, but he's always been like he's always been positive in the eye test. Um, so in the grand final, I know everyone's like, you know, he had a really good game, and he did. He got 17 touches, and he looked really good in the grand final. He used the ball so well. Um, and he scored 66 super coach, which is like, it's fine. It's nothing like amazing. Um, you know, across the, all the final series, I thought he was really good by the eye test. I mean, that's why he stayed in the site. He kind of burst on the scene around 20 and then just has been in the site ever since for the demons. Like in his last um, four, in his, during the final series, he went 66, 80, 42. And in the round 23, he went to, um, 45, which is low. Um, but he's a young guy who's clearly improving, who just had a whole preseason. He came out in round one. Salem went down. I don't know if that impacted kind of um, mentality-wise or what his role was meant to be on the day, but round one he came out and he got 58, and he was pretty pretty average. I think that was one of his worst games I've seen him play. Um, and then the next week he came out and he had 34 possessions. He had... 18 contested possessions and 16 intercept possessions, which is like an all-time great scoreline. And he's mm. played like nine games. Like that's absurd. And he scored 151 Supercoach points. It's it's off the charts. But if this was his highest score in his career, I would not be surprised. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'd be surprised if he did one up the score at any point, especially this season. Um, the the point is, I guess, is that he doesn't need to. Um, he's put in that big score. He did it in round two. If he if he did that in round one, and then scored fifty eight in round two, I suppose I think I think the pick would just be so much less appealing to me. It would disappear. Um, you wouldn't sorry? do it. You'd just disappear. You, you yeah, wouldn't. You wouldn't you bother picking him. Um, so the fact that he's done it this round, it hangs around in the the rolling break even for two weeks. 
Um, all we need from him is 70 plus around between anywhere between 70 and 80. Um, I, I know the, I know he hasn't scored well in the past, but I think you can put a lot of that down to his role. Um, uh, he's, it's not like he's had a really unfriendly lockdown role, but he hasn't had this role and, and getting Salem's role and Salem's touches around the ground, um, which he, he didn't even really get the freebies. He had a, a ton of contested disposals and a ton of intercept possessions as well. Um, I just think it bodes well. Um, he was sought out on the kick out by, from Stephen May quite a few times. He didn't take any himself, which is somewhat of a concern, but I just think it bodes well. And it bodes well for a 70 to 80 average, which gets you the average that you, the price movement that you need in the next month for him to have made about 120K. And that just seems okay. If he gets one more spike score, any anything above 90, and all of a sudden he, he's just making you that 150K, and it's just not so bad. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of merit in the pick. Whether he's better than Hewitt, I, I think I've changed my mind on that during this podcast. So um, I would obviously have him lower than Hewitt at this point, but I don't think I have him as like a bailout worst case scenario. I think he's option two for me in, in terms of trading out Chapman or Whitfield. If he scores 90 plus in round four against Crows, which is a great matchup to do that, you know, he'll he'll get above 400K. So yeah. that that's obviously a big benefit. Um I don't know. It's, it's it's a really tough one to read, and especially talking without having watched that game, that one game, which is so annoying. I mean, <laughs> the, the two games for the two defenders, but um, it's really hard to tell. I mean, Goodwin quoted after the game basically saying that he played the same defensive role that he had in the first week. He just got rewarded for it, which you can read in two ways. It's either round one, where he scored 58, is his usual or it's the 151, and he should be scoring a lot higher than he did um, in round one. So I don't, don't know which don't way to take that. Don't you think that's just too coincidental with Salem exiting to be the case? I mean, like he's either going to score 58 or 150. <laughs> I, I just think it's too coincidental for for Goodwin to just say, "Yep, same role, did the exact same things," and he, he just he just so happened to you know come across the ball more often this game. But maybe, like, but he moved into Salem's role after Salem went down, and just it wasn't that good that game. And, and I, I think there's something to be game. said. I think there's something to be said about a, a player going in, getting injured mid game or a player getting injured between games and uh, in terms of role and moving into a role per se um i think getting injured mid-game doesn't give the person moving into the role enough opportunity to to sort of take that take those points sort of thing like it can for some seasoned players but for someone in his eighth game like jack bowie like I, i just don't think he had the same opportunity as someone else might have going into that role mid game so i kind of I'm not ignoring it, but I think this game is the first real indicator. And although the score is a ridiculous outlier and I don't expect any more than an 85 or 80 average even, um, I still think he's a viable pick based on that. Sorry, I said he has Adelaide in round four. I meant Port Adelaide. <laughs> Changes well, things that's a, a that's an e- That's an even easier team to score <laughs> against, apparently. So he should be fine then. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, Essendon in this game, we just saw. I mean, he's he's not Lockie Neal, but they like to give up points to free free um sort of roaming players that that sort of do do their own thing. So we'll see, we'll see. I, yeah, I think he has not, a lot of merit. So I don't think it's yeah. bad, like either way. Which is, I I, see, I think it's particularly good. I think he's a good option too, but I still think he was far better. 
All right, cool. Is there any other defenders that you want to discuss? Or no, we sort of touched on the the rookies, which I wanted to do. I think we're in agreement in terms of um, their sort of stature in the game at the moment uh, in the defense line. Thank God so we get to talk about Crips now. Yeah, so we're going to move over to the midfield. <laughs> Might as well dive straight into it. Paddy Cripps, um, obviously putting out another good score this week, 162 following his huge round one score. Um, Carlton are 2-0. He looks incredible. You've got a particular statistic that turned me around almost completely in the uh, pre-podcast, so I'd like you to bring that one up. Um, essentially, the 454K, for me, this has been another challenging one all week thus far, which has been a whole of about 24 hours. But it's it's been really challenging to determine what Patrick Cripps would be in my side because we've we've seen him play 22 games in a single season one time and we've seen him be an uber premium about one and a half times. And even with that, he's a frustrating up and down scorer that we had as a as a child and expected to, to get better at those things that he was doing poorly. Patrick Cripps needs to have not gotten back to his best. He needs to be better than his best to be the guy that everyone's trading him in for this season. And I think we need to accept that he's going to be M8 by the end of the year, and that's that's the guy that he's going to be with upside of 115 plus, which is brilliant, especially for his price. But I think the negatives do exist. We need this guy to be better than he's ever been, not, not just back to the old Cripps, I think. So... Um, Go for it. Have a, have a spiel. <laughs> I will do. Um, so the the stat JB was talking about was um, he, about his hair length, you know, in times mm-hmm. <laughs> shorter hair. Uh, the hair follicles. <laughs> so, much, much quicker around the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's basically a more aerodynamic. Um, basically, in 2018 and 2019, where Cripps averaged 119 and 171 supercoach points, which is obviously exceptional. Um, he averaged 11 kicks a game. Um, which Did you say 171? 117 and 119. I may have said 171. I th- yeah, I think he did. Well, that, that, that would be exceptional. That would be incredibly exceptional, yeah. Um, especially with only 11 kicks a game as well. <laughs> we don't need it to be that good. That If that's his best, we don't need it to be that. <laughs> Look, he so he averaged 11 kicks a game in those seasons. Um, and we know that kicking... Uh, compared to handballing is worth more super coach points and a lot of players particularly defenders get their average uh, well up by the volume of kicks that they have um, you know compared to the compared to handballs so this season Cripps has averaged 15 and a half kicks per game um, which coincides with all those meters gain stats that has been going about how he's you know having a career high I think it's like 530 uh, meters gains um, per match compared to his usual like 220. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure all of that's related, right? Like he's kicking the ball a lot more, so he's gaining a lot more meters. And the fact that his kick to handball ratio is one-to-one, um, essentially one-to-one, for the first time, you know, in his career, it doesn't surprise me that this is the year that the Supercoach scores are going absolutely bonkers. So if he's, if this is now, I guess we've seen him fully healthy for four games in a row, and he, he he's passed the eye test every game. Um, Big time. Big time past the eye test. And if he's kicking the ball at this rate, and this is now the game style that Blues are going to play and Voss is instilled, where Cripps kicks the ball instead of handballs at every opportunity, he's on for potentially his best ever season, which is what we need him to do. Now, we've also seen him put in back-to-back two big scores, and I think those that had him in 2019 will remember that he basically went big score, little score, big score, little score um, for 
you know, majority of the season. So putting in back-to-back ones is also good. Um, and we've spoken about the draw before um, that Carlton have, which is incredibly good. So the point that I'm feeling at the moment is he's going to be in 50% of teams by the end of next week. He's, I mean, for those <laughs> that can't just maths, I guess, <laughs> is, you know, one in every two teams is going to have Crips in their side, which Thanks for severely, <laughs> severely lessens the risk in case he does do an injury. I mean, when you think about, like, Dacos is in your side and Dacos scored 53 and no one really cared. It's like, oh, well, everyone has him anyway. Cripps is going to get to that point where everyone has him. And if he does cop an injury, so be it, because everyone else will have to deal with it as well. So it doesn't really matter. And Cripps' upside this season, I think personally his scoring is not something that I'm questioning this season. It's always going to be his body. Like, could he break down in any given week? Yes. He definitely could break down next week. Touch wood, he doesn't. But any given time, he could. But scoring, I don't see being a problem. I think he could very easily average 115 from this point onwards. Not 115 average across, you know, at the end of the season. From round three onwards, I think he can average 115. And that's why, at his price, I'm like, you know, sign me up. I'm getting on now. They've got a great fixture. They're in form. This is the time you know, to do it. Are you concerned at all about his goal kicking? He has five straight goals thus far. He kicked four in the preseason game for his 157. I think, I mean, the three goals round one, without those, he goes to about a a score of about exactly 100. The two goals in round two, it's still a big game. It's about 140. He's not typically a goal-kicking midfielder, and he started on fire this season. I mean... There's two ways to read into that, right? One, they're both outliers, which is definitely possible from a small sample size. Or two, he's getting himself into better positions (laughs) and trying to kick, you know, more goals and having more shots on goal. Um, At least from what we've seen so far, he's definitely got himself into dangerous positions and tried to kick more goals. And should I say, last season, um, Mr. Handball, as I'll call him, because he had eight kicks and 15 handballs a game, he was running into the 50 and handballing it off. He wasn't even trying to take shots on goal half the time. Yeah, that is true. So this might just be him backing himself in and saying, you know what, I can kick this season and this is just the result of him kicking. I, I mean, he's not going <clears> to <throat> average two and a half goals a game, but if he averages one or just over one goal a game, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Look, Cripps is another one kind of like Hewitt where it's blindsided us, as in you and I, we, we neither of us expected this production from these two, even despite the good preseason showing. Um, for me once, shame on you, as they say, for me twice. Um, they both look incredible, but I still think there's enough doubt in Cripps's body, in Carlton's form, um, in how much of the pie they're going to get when they do struggle, because they, I mean, every team struggles at some point. Um, the goal kicking from Cripps and the midfield rotations from Hewitt. I think there's enough to say not every single player will want this these these two, Cripps and or Whitfield as and or Hewitt. Not every single player is going to want that, and that's okay. And I think it's justifiable to fade one or both of these if that's what your research is telling you to do. Um, I think the scary thing is going to be ownership, which 
removes a little bit of that because now you're you're not just backing against the small crowd, you're backing against most of the competition. Most of the higher ranked coaches I think will end up with these these two in their teams. You're gonna be fighting an uphill battle if they do keep going out they're going. But I'm not here to sort of twist anyone's arm on either pick because I think there's justifiable reasons against them um, that we've sort of discussed. I think at this point, they're both going to be in my team for next round though. JB, I, I will say, very, like, you know, sharing on the on the podcast, but I'm sure everyone already knew, I hate being wrong. I hate it with a passion. Fortunately, mm-hmm. with Supercoach, it doesn't happen too frequently, but I hate it. Oh, boy. <laughs> you, know what, you know what's worse? Than being wrong about this, it's Go on. it's worse being it's worse being wrong at the end in round twenty three than being wrong at the end of round two. True. So I'd I'd rather quickly identify that you know what they're better than I expected. Carlton are way better than I expected, and I'm going to correct this as soon as possible and get to the end of the season with my head in the sand and say you know what I just thought I was going to be right and it didn't turn out. So it's it's not like backing your gut if you're just getting more information and you continuously ignore it. So yeah, I'll, yeah. So that's basically how it feels at the moment. All day yesterday, I was telling myself I wasn't going to do Whitfield to Hewitt just because it it went against every bit of data that I collected in the preseason, and I thought people were starting Hewitt were. I mean, I don't think they were silly. Like, I think there's merit in almost every single pick, and I had Hewitt in my team during the preseason at one point, but. I thought yeah. people starting Hewitt and I thought people going against Whitfield were just going so far against the data that it was borderline silly. And it's obviously not. And trying to convince myself that I was the one not looking at the right pieces of data because there's data everywhere. Yeah. You can convince yourself on and off of any single pick. Um, is is not easy because you, you go the entire preseason, you put months of your research, maybe not you listening, but I do, into the preseason. And for it to go so heavily the other way, it's so difficult to just say, like, oh, the, those aren't just outliers. I've actually stuffed this one up. Um, both these guys, I think, are going to be coming into my team. Let's discuss the next guy, which is um, Jack Steele. So a lot of people are trying to get off Jack Steele. And I think the best indicator in terms of trading out a premium is is anyone going to want to trade in this premium when he does actually eventually drop in price? And I think the answer with Jack Steele is every single person in the competition is going to want to trade in Jack Steele if he bottoms out at anywhere near you know, 580 to 600K. 100%. I mean, look, Jack Steele, I would say, passed the eye test in round one. He maybe didn't score super well, but he looked pretty good. Um, he didn't even score like super badly last week either. So... No. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't like he was terrible. Um, I think people kind of maybe skittish because you get you know trade boost and you get more um, trades and he's high price, so it's like an easy one to jump off. But he hasn't like been super bad either. So yeah, I'm I'm not in the jump off camp, um, and I, I don't want to be like a um, yeah. There's there's nothing really that I can say. It's just he's started slow last season. Might I don't know if it's a thing that he does. I mean, there's no... I wouldn't think that it is a thing that he does, but it's possible that's a thing that he does. And then he gets really hot and he averages amazing on the run home and maybe that will happen again. But there's no way if I had Jack Steele that I'd be jumping off after what I've seen in the first two weeks. 
Yeah, and it's it's so easy to vibe with the frustration to understand. Um, he had 13 tackles on the weekend. He had seven tackles the week before. And I, I think everyone's sort of saying how he doesn't look interested. He looks lazy out there. He's already got 20 tackles. He's averaging 10 a game at the moment. Um, it's the, the disposals, especially this most recent game that have dropped off. He only had 23. Um, like, it's not great, but it's it's also not the end of the world. He had an 87 and a 111, which was the one level which was just this week. The only issue with the week one score was that he didn't finish his dinner. He started well and then tailed off towards the yeah, end and then lost a bit on the scaling. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of a lot of clangers. And clangers seem to be a, a common trend this season for a lot of our big premiums. So um, still couldn't be further from my thoughts of, of someone who I would think to trade out of. Um, he couldn't be further into my head rent-free of the player that I will be targeting in three or four weeks when I'm trying to upgrade. Yeah, so, first upgrade, um, for sure. Definitely, definitely, please hold Jack still. You, that's not a trade that you want to regret coming back the other way. Um, Matty Rao, so owned by most of the competition um, over half, owned by more players than who own Lockie Neal. If you missed Matty Rao after seeing the 71 following his huge 150 score in round one, um, how high on the priority list do you think getting this guy in, especially if you've missed, for example, Rao and Patrick Cripps, for example? Well, it's a good question. But look, Rao had 44 points to quarter time again. Um, and then they, they kind of pushed him um, onto Oliver and Petrarca. So as more of a like run with role. Um, it's really good yeah. for a development of a young guy to follow around the competition's best, learn what to do, their running patterns. Like it's it's definitely good for learning. Um, not good for super coach, but fortunately enough, there's not that many midfielders that are much better than Matt Rowell. So he doesn't need to learn from too many teams except from Melbourne. and They don't play Melbourne for a long time. Um, so I'm, I'm not really expecting this to be like a regular Matt Rowell role, like to use him as a run with role. He's just like way too good of a player um, for, that be, for that to be the case. So... I'm I'm not really concerned about his scoring potential. I think he definitely has a 100-plus average still in him, which makes him a very, very good pick at his price because it's very cheap. Um, I would still be putting him very high on my list of players that if I didn't have, I would be getting. Um, he's probably higher on my list than Hewitt um, and probably, I'd say probably higher than... than Crips, but that that one's much closer in my opinion. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I think he's definitely higher than Hewitt. I think he serves the exact same purposes as Hewitt, but he's better, cheaper, um, and and cheaper. Crips, yeah, I, I think either way you're getting a potential M8, and I, I suppose you just in that instance go with the cheaper guy. But it's it's not always that simple. I think that is a complete gut call. And it depends what the difference in cash does for your team. Um, I, I don't think I would be convincing anyone either way confidently, oh, no, this guy's definitely going to outscore this guy. Um, I'd hate to be in that situation, to be honest. I think there's probably only like 20% of teams that are in that situation. Um, I suppose if I move on, I'm going to talk about someone who you just mentioned, uh, Petrarca, and a couple of other guys who... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Just started hot. So Petrarca, Ben Keys, and Caldwell are the three that come to mind. Um, obviously, two different price points there. Truck and Keys being the higher type premium. Well, Keys isn't quite up in the truck, but you know what I mean. Uh, whereas Caldwell is the the real mid prices selection. Mm. Um, do you want to let's isolate Ben Keys first because I think this is the the easiest one to talk about. Um, we just need to wait until Laird is back in the team. I mean, quite simply, in the preseason when Laird was in the seat, when the, in the team, Keys got pushed to the half forward. CBAs were down, possessions were down, everything was down, um, which meant that uh, yeah, selecting him without Laird obviously comes with a great risk. I mean, if Laird just pushes him back out, I mean, Crouch, again, we know can't really play anywhere else and hasn't looked like he's been able to play anywhere else in the team. Um, but that being said, Keyes has started on fire. He looks easily like, you know, one of the best Crows. And if they decide that he has earned his midfield spot over somebody like Matt Crouch, I don't know what they're going to do, but it's it's definitely on the cards just because how well Keyes has started the season. But there's no way that I'd be moving early on him until I see what happens when Laird's in the side. Like, there's just no chance that I would do anything without that knowledge. No, just pay up for him when he becomes a more obvious pick with less question marks. I think this is the typical guy that could burn the hell out of you and you'd be struggling for ways to trade him out of your squad. So yeah. um, Port, Essen and Richmond, Laird hopefully back this week against Port. You would imagine we're going to see exactly what he's about in the next three weeks. By that point, he's going to be about 600K, but that's okay. Uh, if we have to pay up to 600K for him um, and we're sure he's going to be an Uber status, then we just do that. It's not that big of a deal. No, we're doing that um, probably for Petrarca anyway. Well, Petrarca's the next guy. Um, someone who I just want to discuss is, I guess, I don't know how many gears this guy has. I thought we'd seen it all. Um, the second half of last season seemed like he just got on a roll um, and, and the whole season as a whole data point seemed the more accurate year-by-year year average that he was going to tick away at. Um, however, he's averaging 146. He's picked up right where he left off. Um, his draw isn't particularly difficult. In fact, it's actually... <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Wait. Essendon, Port, GWS, Richmond, Hawthorne, St. Kilda, West Coast, North Melbourne, Fremantle. It's really good. That, what, that he's Okay. He's incredible. If I was looking at any Uber premium that I didn't have right now, um, Petrarca is probably that guy. 100%. I mean, actually not 100% because I have Took Miller, and if you didn't have Took Miller, it would be Took Miller. And if you didn't Fair have enough. Neil, it probably would be Neil. But then yeah, okay. it's probably Petrarca. Well, what about um, McRae is pretty good. But. McRae is pretty good. That's that's fair. Um, but yeah, honestly, Petrarca's 
I mean, I'd say two games to emphasize, but, you know, we just saw him in the finals in the back end of last season. He was already averaging 120, I think it was after the buys. So um, we know that he can average 120 plus. And this season he could go more, which is terrifying. Like he's been objectively incredible this season. Um, I think, I mean, the problem with these guys, they're already so expensive that like what's an extra 20K when you're already paying, you know, 620K. A lot of the time, it's not that big of a deal because you have to break the bank to even bring them in. I'm hoping that he still has that low floor at some stage just so that he can drop in price and we can pounce. Um, but I don't know if that's going to happen, JB. He he looks like he is going to have, I hate to say it, but almost a brown low year. Yeah, he, he's maybe the highest player in the competition on my watch list at the moment as, as one that I don't own. So... Um, yeah, he's just incredible. I, I think we just wanted to put it on the radar how well he was going in future when we're upgrading or in future if someone, God forbid, misses a couple of games for whatever reason. Um, this is the guy. I think it goes without saying this is the guy that we want to look at to get in our team. Um, lastly, just to, to quickly touch on Jai Caldwell, um, someone who's looking likely to get some forward status when the first switch round goes, 266k. He's really embraced his forward role with back-to-back scores in the 90s, um, exactly 91 and 90 so far. He has looked good. I've seen a lot of people theorize a Berry to a Caldwell trade, so let's just touch on Berry as well while we're here. Um, is there any scenario in which you burn a trade of a guy probably going to make his 150k to another guy who's probably just going to make his 150k not in this scenario not for Barry uh, I think Barry is still good um, no one to be talking about Carwell but Barry no, let's he, discuss both yeah I mean look Barry had a run with roll um, on the weekends and he was in a lot of the center bounces and he followed his man around the ground he was basically running up and down the corridor which is a really good like role for AFL and, and super coach he just wasn't getting much of the ball. And that's okay because he still scored 76 points, which is really not that bad. Um, and That's exactly what we need from him is, is yeah. mid to high 70s. And and we got that. And I didn't think he was particularly good. And I think he can go a lot better. And this week he has North Melbourne at the Gabba. And I'm hoping he's kind of let off the chain a little bit. Maybe he can put together a four-quarter performance rather than just you know a half, which he did in round one. And we can see him put out a really big ton because he still has that in him. And I haven't... I haven't lost faith that he's been like a bad pick. I think he's had two decent enough scores that he's still going to make money. And at one stage, he's going to go bang. And I hope he's still on my side for that because I, at the moment, still don't doubt at all that he's going to make me 150K and be a successful pick. So that's kind of how I feel about Barry. Can um, I just nod my head here and agree? 150K, please. I think, is is quite easily within his grasp, grasp still. My mind has not changed one single bit Cole- as from the preseason to now. Caldwell is interesting um, because he, you know, he's been injury prone um, and that was mainly the big reason not to start him. Then we saw that his role was not going to be a full-time CBA mid. So we were like, okay, well now we're doubly off him. Um, And he still scored pretty well, uh, which was a little bit surprising, but now he, and, and scored well while Essen haven't been looking too good. So playing in that forward role and, Wallison's bad, you know, that's kind of, I guess, good signs. But then with Merritt out for, I think it's going to be two months plus with the syndesmosis injury, that just means that you would expect Caldwell to be thrust into that midfield a little bit more. And yep. 
have higher scoring potential than what he currently has. And if he's already going 90, then, you know, 95, 100 could be on the cards at only 260K, which sounds like even better value than all the other ones I've picked. But I think the key here, JB, is picking the right player to trade him to because I don't think the right player is Barry and I don't think it's like a Dacos or a Horn Francis or a Stevens. I think the right player is probably a non-playing rookie like an Owens or a uh, Hoff, um, assuming that it's then not going to bench a good rookie like a Dacos or a Horn Francis. I mean, then you don't really gain the benefit uh, by having them on your field. So a Ward, a Ward's tough because Ward has a good role and he just butchered it. And I think Ward's got a big score in him, but he also could take time to, for him to make that 150K. And Caldwell, I don't think, needs time to make that. I think he's going to make it very quickly. So sometimes it's not a, an exact science in how much a trade is worth. I mean, we like to theorize that it is, but time does play a big factor in it. And if you're able to make a very quick 150K compared to a very slow 150K, that does impact your scoring potential in your team in the future when you're able to access the funds more quickly. So I could see that being a move. And I'm not sure he will get forward status if he now is going to move more into the midfield, but that's a wait and see. Because if he does get forward status, um, you know that's going to be a huge benefit to, to those that do get him, JB. Yeah, I yeah, I guess I, I just agree with what you're saying. Um, Ward is the next guy that was on my to talk about list. I just want to sort of preach a bit of um, patience on that one. As you said, he butchered the ball around Adelaide Oval pretty much all, all day on Saturday or Saturday night. Um, but his dream team score was quite high. He's, he's getting the ball. His role was good. He was in uh, quite a few CBAs, actually, I noticed. Um, and he just didn't... He's usually a clean player. He, he just didn't hit targets. Um, so I think he's one that I wouldn't be rushing out of my side. But at the same time, the money might just facilitate something as it, as it might with... Um, a few players that were discussed and a few players that we're going to discuss as well. Um, just lastly, if you've missed any rookies in the midfield, I think McDonald is kind of the key one. Uh, Stevens as well, a few people missed out on. I think they're imperative to get into your sides. Both of them have really good roles um, or good enough roles for uh, in McDonald's case. Stevens' role is really good. Um, McDonald, another one that we probably see get forward mid-status um, very soon, so in the next three weeks. Um and I just think those guys are going to just make their money. I think they're very important to get into your side for cash generation. Yeah, no, totally with you there. And and if you don't have one of them, it probably means you have one or two of Owens and Hugh and, and Hoff. So it just makes sense. Just just make that move. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move into the ruck line pistol. Um, I suppose this is this is a bit of an interesting to what what uh, interesting discussion to sort of walk through. So. Let's just start by talking about Gorn. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say at this point, Gorn might be on the outside of your team looking in by the time the weekend starts. Before you discuss that, <clears throat> I'm going to clear my throat and just say, I think Gorn, despite the slowish start, is such an untradable commodity due to the ups and downs of the Ruckman that you're potentially replacing him with. I think English is a is a bad pick, who we're going to discuss a little bit more later. And I think Luke Jackson is a bad pick, who we're going to discuss later. Um, I think Bruce is an atrocious pick if he's in this week. 
And I think relying on Hayes with Ryder potentially coming back into the side is also a very negative move. So I'm going to start with that pistol. And I'm going to say Gorn, I think, goes back to his predicted average of at least 115 plus by the end of the buys. And I just want to see what you have to say about all that. I'm glad you set the scene here. So that's so I can't lead people down the crazy path. So thank you for sharing the other side of the coin. Um, No, to be honest with everyone up front before I even start talking about it, um, I think there's only very special situations in which I would trade out Gorn. I think I would far, far prefer to remove Whitfield over Gorn if I'm removing somebody from my side. I don't think... You need to remove Gorn. I don't think it's a problem. I'd be happy holding him. Um, in specific circumstances, which I noticed that happened, yeah, depending on what structure you chose, and it mostly happened to Chapman owners, um, Chapman owners might be in a situation where they've taken Chapman over someone like a Cherry or a Brody and now are basically stuck needing, well, wanting to get like a Hewitt and a Cripps and a Cherry, but only have three trades and can't quite get there, um, which is problematic. So the way in which I think Gorn out is a benefit to your team is in, I guess, a couple of things need to be box ticked. Um, The first thing that needs to be box ticked here is I would need to see Proust be named this week, and that's not to get Proust. That's so that there's a bailout option if things go terribly wrong. You're lucky you clarified that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not trading Impros. It's a ba- complete bailout if things don't go well. So the aim here when trading out gone would be trying to get to round six without getting a donut so that you can get Cherry into your R2 slot. That would be that that's the golden ticket. Because Cherry is really good and he's a really good pick. And I would say would you say he's probably the highest priority to get this week, JB? Uh, like, are we talking Hewitt? Any, any player this week, and... if you missed a mid-pricer, would it, be, would it be him? Yeah, yeah. I think Sherry would be top of my list if I didn't have him already. So, I don't have him, obviously, in the players I can't get. Maybe Rao. Maybe Rao. I don't know. Yeah. But he's a very... Sherry. He's right at the, the top. We're talking yeah, top, top. Yeah, it's, yeah we're, we're nitpicking. So... For someone like me, and I think other people in the same situation, one of the routes to get Cherry would be Gorn down to Cherry via Hayes swinging into the R2 slot. That gets you Cherry on field and then gives you the money to be able to upgrade somebody like Chapman to a Hewitt and then lets you get one of your rookies, potentially non-playing if you had more than $0 in your bank like me, like a non-playing rookie to Crips, which sounds like a win-win-win being able to get all of those players. Well, a, a lose win-win, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah, you get three really good players. I don't think anyone's going to argue that you're going to lose scoring potential from that move in your team. Just You're getting so many bulk good scorers onto your field. Um, the risk in that becomes you having Grundy and Hayes and Dixon um, until round six where Cherry will get forward, sta- will, yeah, get ruck status. Um, the reason Bruce is important is because if Hayes gets dropped then you're still able to trade somebody like a McGovern or using DPP, trading players out of your side to swing Hayes into your forward line and be able to bring in Proust just to get you, I guess, a certain way. Because even if Proust is named JB, I don't think it's 
I mean, it's, I don't know how long it will take him. I'm assuming Can we put a name, line through Priest right now? Well, I, I don't think... Like, if Priest is named, I think he'll make 100K quite easily. Zero people should be trading in Priest this week. Not 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 this week, but I'm just saying in yeah, general. Well, we can discuss whatever he does this week, next week. Yeah, for sure. But just to put a line through in this week, no one should be getting trade him this him week. This week okay. at all. 100% no. Okay. Um, okay. I'm talking about, yeah, future weeks... We'll have seen him eventually. play. Yeah. We can pick him up on the bubble if he's good or just ignore him if he's bad, if Hayes is still playing and in the side. Um, I think a couple of things have gone our way at the moment in that Hayes has looked way better than any of us ever expected him to look. And he's probably done enough that even if Ryder does come back, he can remain in the side maybe at the expense yeah, of Wood. I think so as well. And get a couple more games. And whilst his scoring potential might drop off a cliff, um, he has proven himself to be quite a good footballer, and I think just based on skill, he's going to still score pretty well because he's a good footballer. <laughs> um, in which case, yeah, you know, there's trade-offs having a rookie in, a rookie in your ruck slot, blah, 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 blah. That is almost entirely the only case I would be trading Gorn. Um, I, it's incredibly risky move. Um I I like Gorn still. I think he's gonna. I think it doesn't really matter that he's gonna drop like seventy k because no one's going to be able to afford to upgrade him by round six or round seven or round eight anyway. So it doesn't really matter if he's gonna have a small price drop. He's got a really good fixture run coming up. Um, incredibly strong. If I just read it out very quickly, and then we went through it with Petrarca, but he's got Draper, Lysett, uh, Pruce, Nank, Reeves, Marshall, Nick Nat, uh, Sherry. That's enough. It's a lot. It's very good. They're going to win a lot of games. He's going to score well. Um, I think, JB, just to complete the full Gorn circle, how do you feel about him and his ruck time, I guess we'll say, being shared in quotation marks with Jackson? Do you think that's gone up, gone down, more than you expected, less than you expected, impacting him more than you thought, or what's the deal with his scoring? Uh, I think it's about what we expected. I, I don't think it's changed much from last season and, and the preseason that we saw. I think he's dropping marks that he doesn't usually drop. I think he's giving away free kicks, which, by the way, he must be the unluckiest player in the competition for free kicks expected, free kicks XG, um, and free kicks expected giveaway. Like, he, he just... I don't. I don't understand most of the free kicks that he gives away. I suppose outrucking your opponent in the middle is seen as a free kick against a lot of the time, which I think frustrates a lot of the fan base. Um, and getting wrapped around the head when you're going for a mark is not seen as a free kick because you're you're too tall, I suppose. So um, I think it's frustrating watching him. But that that does not carry on throughout the entire season. I think that chip gets written, written, um wrote. <laughs> eventually and and Gordon just goes back to the the normal dominance that we that we saw the, over the last four years um i i'm not concerned about Gordon. i wouldn't be trading him out i wouldn't even know how to get him back in if i did trade him out um i, I suppose you're counting on sherry to to get to a decent yeah. price there but like I, I just i just don't i can never justify trading out someone who I know for a fact I'm going to have to get back into my side. Whitfield, there's a strong chance I don't have to get him back into my side. A strong might be a bit harsh on him, but 
yeah, just from the the data that I've seen so far, I, I think I can convince myself that it's unlikely that I have to get Whitfield back. And with the amount of high scoring defenders, the, he just might not be a priority at all. And it just is what it is. So um, I, I think cases can be made. Jack Steele, I would know for a fact I have to get him back in my side. Gorn, I would know for a fact I have to get him back in my side. I just don't like trading those guys. And I understand you've got your workaround. I would be looking at any other scenario to try and make that possible. Um, I have. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have. Uh, I just at, There's got to be a point where you think, is it really worth sacrificing Gorn for Crips or Gorn for Hewitt, for example? Yeah. <laughs> and I think you've convinced yourself that it is, and I, th- it, that could 100% be the correct answer. I'm not trying to... Yeah, just, no, for sure. It might be wrong. It might be right. Turn down your decision. It could definitely be wrong. It could be very wrong. Um, I guess it's just one to see, and it's one for people to listen to, assess their own team, and make their own decision um, because there's obvious reasons for and there's obvious reasons against. So, Oh, JB, i got to touch on it because I've seen it happen too many times. If you're trading Gorn, yeah. you're trading in two keepers for him. Like you're not, yes, you're yes. not sacrificing him and bringing in a mid. I've seen people bring in a mid pricer and a premium, and I'm like, no. If you're getting rid of like the most expen- one of the most expensive best players in the game, at least yep. getting multiple premium players. Like, don't just cull him for the sake of culling him. That that doesn't seem appealing to me no. at all. No, I think that that goes. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's trading in any other Ubers besides Gorn, But sort of like a super coach rule is that you if you're trading out someone like that that you know that you're going to have to get back into your side you at least want to improve your structure significantly to a point where it's going to help you with trades not hinder you in the long run no. you're getting two guys who you're going to keep over one guy who you're going to have to keep so people trade suggested <laughs> trading in wits and that i think is just a shocking an absolutely shocking well, let, let's talk about it i i just want to breeze through these yeah. um we're nearly at an hour and a half we've still got forwards to discuss so I'm, I'm just going to quickly shout them out so um we've spoken about Proust already we've ruled him out jared wits um just your bland thoughts on that one i think wits is a really good ruckman and i think he beat gone you know this week that's why he had 38 hit outs to gone's 18 um, and that's why Gorn didn't score well. I don't think Gorn played too badly. I think he just got beaten in a ruck because Wits is a good ruckman. And Wits is a good ruckman that has typically not averaged more than 100 in the past, and that might seem decent at 380k, but at the end of the day, he might make 100k, and Gorn might drop 50k. But if that was the case, you should have started Wits. Don't trade in Wits because it costs two trades anyway because you have to bring him in and then you have to sell him. Um, if you weren't sure, then you should have started him. It's not like he's going 110 or 120 and going to force your hand. There's nothing that we've seen that makes me think Wits is like exceptionally good this season. He just scored a 75. So that's my rough thoughts on him. And it, most likely if you're trading Gorn to him, it's preventing you from getting two premiums with your other two trades. So rules that out. Um, yeah. Jackson, people... I mean, look, Jackson had a really good game and I know D supporters love him and everyone, you would be blind to say that he doesn't have, you know, potential. Um, star potential. Star, completely star potential. And one day he's going to be really, really good. But I, how can it be this year? Like, Gorn is still there. Like, maybe when Gorn's not there, he'll be really good. But to see him jump up an average, he'd have to jump up like 30 points per game to be a forward keeper. 30 point, 25, 30 points a game increase after he just 
had a big increase on his previous season. That's absurd to me. Like I, I cannot see him jumping up high enough to be able to be a keeper in the forward line, which means if he's not a keeper and he's not a cash cow, that generally means that it's just a bad pick in general. I know he had the a really problem good is game, but, yeah. he's still got a low floor and he's still got 50s in him and he's going to get those this year. I, I think, he, like you said, you just... You're months and months and potentially years too early on Jackson. As much as I like the guy, I think he's going to be really good. He could have a good run um, of games. He's coming. He's. He, I mean, he's got Port coming up, and I know you mentioned Port as one of the the good fixtures for Gorn, but Gorn typically doesn't score well, and not just Gorn, um, big men in general. So the two games that Luke Jackson has had against Port, he's gone for a fifty-seven and a twenty-six, and like obviously he's improving, he's getting better. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to put out a guaranteed fifty. But Port do well against big men, and Jackson just isn't to that caliber where he's just going to all of a sudden blow by those teams that that used to trouble him in the past. So um, I, I just think it's you, you're looking at the ADA and you're looking at the 137, and you're going, all right, it's happening. But in a two-game sample size, you, it's just not enough to, to convince yourself that he's going to be a sure thing. Yeah. Um, Tim English is the next one. Look, we've got to transition kind of... to forwards through Tim English. I think that's the easiest way, JB. But you're pretty strong Fine. in that anti-English camp, so I'd love no, to no, hear no, your thoughts right. about I'll, I'll quickly, I'll quickly discuss... Um, I, I've seen a few people talk about trading out Marshall because they were forced into that selection um, due to Darcy going down for round one. Um, obviously, don't trade him out. I think he, he, he had a 124 and a 67. If those scores were reversed from round one and round two, I don't think it would be an issue. Um, I think I think you just chalk round one up as a bad game and round two up as the norm. Because it's the other way around, it looks a bit gross on your team sheet at the moment, but I, I just don't think there's an issue there. He, I suppose, could get forward status when Ryder comes back, and I think you may be somewhat reliant on that for the pick to be successful, but he's not someone that you need to address until around the players. So. Yeah. Do not stress about Marshall. Um, I suppose Darcy slash Meek is the next thing. We don't know how long Darcy's going to be out. Um, if at all. If he's out for, <laughs> yeah, if he's out for some time, would you consider Meek in your little merry-go-round that you're considering? I mean, or is he the same line of uh, Jared Ritz? I probably wouldn't purely because I'm missing three guys that I really want. If you're only missing two people that you really wanted, um, Meek's a really good ruckman. Like he's. Underrated. Mm, he scored, very good. He scored eighty-three. Probably the best backup ruckman in the in the league. Yeah, he he might genuinely be. He's got an eighty-three and an eighty-eight this season. I think that's kind of going to be his floor. Um, and he's got some really big games in him as well. So he's only two hundred and sixty-nine k. If Darcy was out long term, I I would probably look there because I think he can get up to like four fifty k and and be a good pick and score really well. Um, I just yeah, it's not going to really work for me, but it might work for somebody else. All right, so we've got forwards to discuss, and I think this English. is Go actually going to be pretty quick. Um, I'm going to start with English, yeah. So I think the same thing that gives me hope as a Whitfield owner, not for long, mind you, um, <laughs> is is that things that are unsuccessful, that look shocking, um, generally get corrected. And I think bad coaching... I suppose you can take it with a grain of salt because it's Leon and he's just a bad coach. So we'll see if he knows enough to correct himself. But you would expect GWS to play to their strengths more often than not between now and the end of the season. Whenever that 
switch happens, I think it'll be super beneficial for Whitfield, whether it's this week, next week, or in a month's time. It's just how long you can sort of suffer with him in your side or whether you trust Leon to make that switch. I think that's a genuine factor for Whitfield. I think, by the way, they're 0-2. I think Bulldogs being 0-2 and losing the midfield battle in two consecutive weeks with potentially probably the best midfield rotation in the entire league, besides Carlton, of course, um, I think it just speaks volumes to what they need in the centre. And they need a tap Ruckman. I'm not saying they're going to bring in Steph Martin this week. I think it's actually highly likely they do so. But even if it's not this week, it is a foregone conclusion that they have to bring in a tap Ruckman to succeed. And I think they will realize it eventually. I think it's probably going to be this week. When that does happen, English stocks go through the floor. He doesn't score well with Martin in the team. He doesn't score well as a predominant forward. And although he's still going to have good games, he's not going to average enough to be a confident F6. I think, especially considering you've missed his big game already, which was round one, um, I think when he regresses to the mean, um, I think that looks more like an 85 average between now and the end of the season, which may be a little bit generous. Um, I'm not sure. So I just hate hate that trade-in. I don't think he's the uber premium that you're looking for. Um, I would rather get the guys that we spoke about earlier, Cripps, Hewitt, those speculative guys. They have more backing behind them, um, more positives. Uh, English, I only see that negative and think it's just a matter of time and it just kills the pick. Yeah, I'll co-sign what you've said there, JB. I can't see them not changing something when they're losing. Um, You know, if they were winning both games, completely different story. Yeah. Um, all right, so we look into the forward line um, solely now, the, the actual forwards. I'm going to start off with McGovern. We'll do a standalone McGovern discussion quickly. So you saw the first half of the game this week, and he apparently looked shocking. I saw the, th- the six quarters from round one and the preseason game, seven quarters, I guess, um, and he looked exceptional. He looked so, so good. I don't understand what's happened between those games and the first two quarters of this game. Um, can you please explain what you saw from McGovern? So I have seen all the quarters of McGovern, not just two quarters. That would be pretty funny. No, as in like you've seen them all, but <laughs> no, I, no. I missed the turnaround, not the... Yeah, you know what I'm saying. No, I do. Um, McGovern's role was not good um, in in this game. I think... It was a complete shift from the first game. I don't know if that was coach's instructions or what happened. Uh, McGovern woke up that day and was like, eh, can't be bothered playing football. I guess I'll just rock up, see how I go. Um, it really felt like there was a change because the way that Carlton was switching the ball in the first week, it was McGovern was like the furthest back and they would, if they needed to do a deep switch, they would kick it to him and he would be one of the kicks in the switch. Whereas this game, what seemed to happen was McGovern would run like during a switch, he would run from like, let's say the top of the square directly for, through the corridor. Well, not through the corridor, but in a vertical line up until the 50 meter mark, draw a man with him and then stand there guarding space, not trying to be on the switch at all. And what would happen is while he was running forward, um, that's when Saad or Doherty would slip in behind and then be open for the switch. And it kind of seemed like a set play because he kept doing it over and over again and was not involved in like a single switch the entire time because they kept 
using him as like kind of this guard spacing decoy at the 50 meter mark and they just switch behind him instead so seeing him in more of a let's call it team role whereas it meant that every point he earned he had to like earn off his own back and wasn't given any cheapies by his team made me massively concerned um for you know what his role is going to be like in the future okay that's concerning. He still had a decent second half when he took a couple of intercepts. Is he just now reliant on the intercepts completely, do you think? Well, that's my worry because if, if that's the case, you know, his floor suddenly drops much lower and his ceiling is probably um, lowered a little bit. But it doesn't mean that he can't have good games. It just means he has to yeah. play well every game. And I don't get the feeling from watching McGovern that he's like this guy that's going to play really amazing every week. I think he's going to throw up some stinkers. And I was hoping that being in a kind role would, you know, decrease that pain um, and lift his floor up a little bit. So when he had those stinkers, it wasn't like sub 40 bad. But there, are, there is a world where he's he has a sub 40 game bad. But again, it's we have two weeks of data that showed conflicting pieces of information and Sometimes the third week is a tiebreak, and it's unfortunate that prices change that week. That's extremely difficult. I, I think I'm inclined to back McGovern in, especially to make his 150k. I think that regardless, you give him enough time in that role, and, and that money is eventually going to come. So I'm not super like concerned in that regard. Um, I suppose it's just that there are better money making options now, and obviously Crips and Hewitt though they're not seen as money-making options. Um, if that's their worst-case scenario and the potential premiums, I think it's quite obvious that McGovern to a player of that ilk is um, a recommended trade, um, whether it's McGovern down and Chapman up or McGovern down and you know someone up, whatever. But um, if that gets you that, that sort of level of player, then I completely understand the trade. I just don't think... The trades should start with, okay, I've got McGovern. What can he create for me? I think he's just the guy that sort of enables you money-wise to afford anyone else. Otherwise, if you have those guys or don't like those guys, I don't think you need to move McGovern out of your side. We've spoken about the Carlton, Carlton fixture in great detail. I mean, if there's any time where he's going to like bounce back, it's going to be in this fixture run. So I'm definitely yeah. not all in on trading him out. I think there is definitely a world in which he can bounce back and, and have a really good game. He could have just you had keep a saying really in a game. world, but I want you to say in the deep, like in a world, <laughs> like that type of, I feel like you're about to start a movie trailer. <laughs> right. Every, every time. Every in the world with Mitch McGovern. Um, yes. Yes. That's what I expect. He, um, yeah, I agree. Look, Hawthorne's not known for its kicking efficiency. So I, I, I would hope that he's actually going to have a good game this week. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree. Um, I think he's going to play well. And I think he's a lot of people are going to regret trading him out, but then they'll see whoever they traded in, whether it's Hewitt or Cripps, and, and think maybe maybe not. Maybe I don't regret it as much. Um, a fine enabler, I think, is just the best way to put it. So Brody and Sherry, two guys who I think it goes without saying uh, unbelievable picks. Nat Fife um, had... I think he had a disc in his back um, shaved, so they had to take take some disc out, I guess, is the 
probably not correct term. Um, but he's missing at least another three to four weeks. And I think that's at least before he, they start sort of reevaluating him and, and getting onto the track. So I just think Brody is free. I think he's a super easy going to make money, 220K guy, um, has the role, has the job security, um, everything that you would possibly want, especially with Nat5 confirmed out. Um, I think he's an easy trade-in. I think Sherry is somehow easier, <laughs> somehow more free. Um, if you have neither of these two, uh, wait, first of all, before I get complicated, if you're have, if you missing either one of these two, would you say they're a must-get this week? Where where do you sort of rank them? Because I think, I think we said Sherry's probably number one. Yeah. Sure. Maybe the entire game. Brody has to be close behind. Um, maybe maybe four, if if you think Hewitt and Cripps are slightly ahead. But essentially, he's in that mold, right? 100%. Yeah, I, I do think Cripps and Hewitt are slightly ahead. And Brody's right up there. Everything you said about Brody is true. And he, he passed the eye test as well, um, which is important because, you know, he's someone that definitely could disappear and drop out of the 22 on a stage it you know it just takes a couple of bad games in a row but he's been excellent in his two games yep. his clearance work and contested ball work are just top notch um so i think yeah fife's out for a couple more weeks and he's definitely got this you know fine scoring super coach role and he's also somebody that i wouldn't be surprised puts out a really large score at some stage so uh, i think yep, he's, I agree. he's definitely a really good pick just slightly behind the other really, really good picks. <laughs> yeah, no, I tend to agree with that. I think he's a, a, a higher priority. And like I said with Hewitt and Cripps, there are enough reasons to not enjoy those picks in isolation. Um, if you think Brody is just the safe guy that you want to get this week in, instead of either of those two, I'm, I'm just not going to talk you out of it. Um, all right, so a couple of rookies that might have been missed. So we've got Durden, Hayes, Rochelle, and Dixon. Um Dixon isn't on the bubble. I'm going to take him out of that. You got Durden, Hayes, and Rochelle. Um, if you've missed any of these three, can you just give me on a scale of one to ten how much I should be prioritizing getting these guys in? Um, just let's just go individually. So Rochelle first, then Hayes, then Durden. Uh, Rochelle's a great pick. He is a classy player. He was scoring badly. Crows threw him into the midfield in the last quarter, and he was X factor as you would expect. Just really good. Um, he's just a really, really good AFL player. and Really good. There'll be times where he just has a really bad role and gets stuck forward and doesn't do anything and scores 40, and I fully expect that. There'll also be times where we saw him go 118, and I don't think that will be the last time he scores more than the ton this season. Um, it's just about the timing when to jump off him, and I think, um, yeah, it's he's going to be a completely fine pick and one that if you missed that, you know, if you got a dead rookie, I, I'd be looking to get him in. Um, I'm not sure if you have anything so, more to add to that. No, no, no. I completely agree. Um, I think he's absolutely must get. He's going to make the money. Uh, his break even is like negative a thousand. So um, Hayes, the next guy, I think you're going to be repeating yourself here a bit. Yeah. Look, we haven't seen Ryder come in and Hayes's role with Ryder, but at the end of the day, Hayes looks like a really good AFL player. He doesn't look like a good. SANFL player. He's very clearly got the talent to play at this level, and that gives me a lot of confidence in him and in St Kilda wanting to play him moving forward. I think it's very, very real, more than 50% likelihood that Ryder will come in and Hayes will stay in the side. Um, he just seems yep. like he might even be better than 
Mason Wood at this stage. So that's everything we were hoping for. And looks like he can he can ruck, he can mark, he can kick goals, he can get his team up and about. Um, I just at 102k basement price with DPP, it just all seems like too good to be true. So wait on Team News to make sure he's named. But if he's named, I feel pretty confident in him going to be able to make like 150 to 200k. Yeah, I completely agree. And he's, he's almost going to do it entirely this week. So if he's named, I think he is the number one easiest pick in the entire game. I just don't understand any reason for fading him. It's projected um, of 98, gets him rising 104k this week. And that almost gets him the entirety of the, the rise that you would need out of a trade. That's um unreal. Considering you're likely trading a dead rookie to him, it, it is just such a positive move. Um, I know we haven't really discussed the tactics behind the trade boost this podcast. That might have been, in hindsight, a lack of um, foresight by us, in hindsight, lol. Um, <laughs> but I think in any scenario where you're making two trades that you're dead set on and missing Hayes, I think you pop that trade boost and get him in. I don't know what you're saving them for if, if you're not getting him in this week. I'm using a trade boost. Anyway, like the, the thing is, I got my structure slightly wrong. I got Chapman problem to deal with. And what better way of using a trade boost is like getting your season back on track by fixing all the problems in your side so that everyone's on equal playing field when you're leaving round two. I mean, obviously, people will be able to use trades throughout, you know, more trade boosts. But it's also a very real possibility, JB, that some people don't use all five trade boosts because they just trade two yeah. every week and then they get to the stage where they're like, I don't want to use three this week. I need to well, we're not even going to be able to use them in the second half of the season because we'll have like eight trades left. Yeah. And are we really going to need three trades in a round when you've got eight left in round 16, for example? I think I think it's a little bit overblown, not entirely. It's a little bit overblown how much we're going to need them um, pretty much after the buys. It's, it's going to be difficult to pop them. So, um, And sometimes yeah. there's not three trades to make. Genuinely, there might be one yeah, downgrade option. Yeah. Um, we're talking about the most important trades of your entire year, probably this season. No pressure, guys. But um, These ones, I think this week will make or break whether you finish top one k. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no pressure. pressure. There. Um, and then lastly, just Durden. I'll, I'll jump in for this one. Um, he played well. Probably played to his limits in the first game for a score of seventy. I don't doubt that he can score higher than that if he. Um, plays the, the exact same game and maybe momentum shifts a little bit differently. But essentially, that's what I see him doing in his really good games. And then we saw the worst of what he could do this last weekend. If you don't have him, I think it's absolutely okay and probably recommended you don't move anything to try and get him in. Yep. Um, however, if you do have him, uh, there's no way I'm trading him out either. Um, I don't even think I'd cash in the 40K. I, I'm, I'm just not trading out playing rookies when you've likely got Owens or someone else on the bench um, to try and get a Jack Hayes in. It's just not in my plans. No, look, it happens with small forwards. I mean, it could happen to Rochelle as well where he puts a 24. But Durden, it's got Hawthorne this week and we've gone over a million times Carlton's fixture run, so I'm not going to mention it again. But I feel like right at the end of that run is going to be the perfect time to trade him out. And I feel pretty good about him making at least 120K. Maybe not 150, but he'll get up enough where it's where you, you feel happy that you started him all right stick with us we've got one more thing to discuss um maybe one and a half i'm going to quickly mention martin obviously who's on the bubble next week no reason to trade him in this week 
Um, Heaney and Jordan Degoe, I guess, are talking points. Both of them very cheap-looking premiums. Um, I suppose if you're not confident on Crips or Hewitt uh, post-podcast, which, again, I completely understand, um, you might want to get someone in that you think is guaranteed top six in their line. I think both of these boys will be top eight in their line if they play a full complement of games this year. Um what do we think in in terms of trading one of these guys in? Um, I suppose it's just the inherently safer option. Look, let me tell lower, you... Lower upside, but it's safer. Let me tell you, I think it's more likely from this point onwards that Dugowie scores more points than Heaney. Um, I think yeah, I agree. Dugowie's role at Pies seems quite good. Um, he got quite a lot of midfield time in the first week. Well, he had the most amount of midfield time in the Collingwood midfield. This week, he copped an ankle knock and he was off the field for a bit until he came back on. Still managed. Collingwood had 24 CBAs. Grundy had 21. Dugowie had 19. Crisp had 13. Adams had 12. Lipinski had 9. Two weeks in a row, Dugowie has been far and away Collingwood's leading center bounce <laughs> clearance specialist. I mean... Yeah. It's. I thought it would take a slow time to build up, but the, the stats here are showing he is our number one CBA mid now, which means he should technically average 100 plus because he did that last season in that role, and I would expect him to do that again. So if I'm picking between them right now for how many points for the rest of the season, definitely taking Dugowie over Heaney. Um, Heaney has done unbelievable things this season. He has kicked so many goals. He's been an incredible player. I think Swans are good. I think Heaney's good. But Heaney is a forward. And guess what happens? Forwards sometimes score really well when they kick a lot of goals. And when they don't kick a lot of goals, they don't score as well. I mean, he only had six CBAs from 31 on the weekend. That is as much midfield time as he had in the previous season. And in week one, JB, he played a lot on the wing. He didn't even get CBAs. Yeah. So... People picking him as a CBA mid, that's not what his role is. He's either playing on the wing or in the forward line. He's just scoring really well because he's an incredible player. And more specifically, he's an incredible forward. And Sydney will play him in the forward line. And I think if you're choosing between a CBA midfielder and a forward, some weeks the forward's going to kick bags of goals and score better than the CBA mid. But over the course of the season, I think the CBA mid's going to outscore the, the forward. Look, I think I think Heaney's going to be top eight in his line um, if he plays enough games. But I think his issue still is mostly that he plays injured um, instead of just copping the the week or two off to recover. Um, I think that happens every single season, and it's a good chance to happen this season just due to that history. Um, I'm not saying Dugowie's not injury prone, but he wasn't as a midfielder, and I think the, the trimming down and getting into shape as a midfielder has really helped with those niggling injuries that he used to suffer. So You already heard something um, this week. <laughs> um, look, I, I just... Yeah, he did actually. I, I just have a lot more confidence in Dugowie's floor. I think he's such an easy 100-plus average. Um, I think he, he's a good chance to play 20-plus. And yeah, I have him just above Heaney. But I also think Heaney's going to go pretty well. So um, look, I'm, again, <laughs> I keep saying this. I'm not going to talk you out of... Um, getting those guys instead of the likes of Hewitt, if you don't trust him, they're—I mean—they're only thirty to sixty k 
more on top of that. Sorry, 50 to 65K more on top of that. So um, if you have that money, you want to play it safer, then um, you're not going to hear any arguments from me. I just wanted to quickly touch on um, actually someone who we, we haven't mentioned. I think Dustin Martin, you guys spoke about him last week. Have you, has your opinion changed at all? I mean... Did you guys talk about him last week or was that news out later? Uh, news out later. Um, yeah. Jesus yeah. started in. It wasn't a happy camper, that's for sure. Um, do we do we just sort of assess if he's not named this week, and if he's not named again this week, it's more, it's just a gut decision as to whether you think he's back soon or oh, you just trade I, him out. I think if he's not named this week, I'd trade him out. There's you just trade. Gonna linger. Yeah. News over his head for the whole season is probably not going to be great, and rumors and everything. I think um, you got an outlet there if you miss um, Cherry or Hewitt or Dugowie. Actually, now that you, I don't know how have bit higher on him now than I was before we started this podcast so even he seems like yeah. a good option so there's there's enough there that you just say oh well this stuff happens and you can just cut it and move on um, I'm contractually obliged to finish the podcast talking about a Collingwood player Jack Ginevan um, averaging 91 and a half he's got 119 this week just quickly your thoughts on him he's only priced that just a touch under 200k so it looks to be a good potential rookie trading type of situation he's been um what's your thoughts so good this season as a player like he's been really good really happy with his development big fan of him hope he gets plays every game this season for the pies but sometimes good players in real life aren't good super coach scorers i mean he had a career high 21 touches this week it's like more than double than he usually averages I think he just had a really good game. We played a weak opponent in Adelaide. Um, and Collingwood's 2-0. and And as much as I love my players, I'm going to be realistic in how many games I think we're going to win from this point onwards. And it's less than half that are probably remaining. Um, in that case, I think he's very likely to make 100K. I'm not sure he's going to make you 150K, though, which is kind of that pass mark. And it's really, I'm wondering who you would trade out for him um, because there's not many options like, there's the obvious ones, but if you already have them, like, I don't know who you're trading then out to to get Ginevan. It doesn't seem like there's a... Yeah. It doesn't seem like that's a good trade. Like, if it's McGovern to Ginevan, like, I don't know if that's worth a trade. Yeah, and we just, we have Hayes um, and Martin next week. So, I think it's just... in Any other year, it would be all over Ginevan, but um, I just think it's too difficult to sort of structure up this season. Yeah. Um, Lastly, before we jump off, uh, just quickly into captaincy and vice-captaincy, then I'm going to do the outro. Um, so who is your immediate thoughts this week? Obviously, we've got the Bulldogs starting on the Thursday. Why are there two Friday night games, by the way? Um, I believe they wanted to free up the Saturday Arvo for the AFLW Grand Final that was postponed. Lovely. Okay. Well, that's worked out well. Um, yep. <laughs> so, Bulldogs versus Sydney starts us off on the Thursday. Obviously, you've got McRae and Dunkley. Um, Dunkley, not much of an option, obviously. He's the, the high-risk, high-reward pick. Um, McRae, the guy who's likely going to go between 130 and 145. Which Seems is a pretty still good very VC good, again. Still very good. Uh, uh, Pistol's saying that because I got the Neil captaincy this week and he got the vice captaincy on McRae. Yep. <laughs> um, I think having said Neil's name, he's very good against North Melbourne, um, a very good option. He also has the history as he did against I Essendon. was going to say, last three, 156, 134, 140. 
Yeah, so I think he's an unbelievable captaincy option, option, which means, again, if you do want to go boom or bust like I chose to do last week, there are a lot of good options for it. Um, obviously, Dunkley's one who can go between 95 and 160, which I like. Um, I think Butters is a pretty good one on the Friday night. Adelaide Oval against the Crows. Um, I think he's a good one to potentially have that high ceiling. And I guess um, Took Miller against GWS could be another potential one as well playing sure. um, before Brisbane Lions. So I think there are three pretty fun vice-captaincy options um, unless you just want to be safe and, and pick Jack McRae, which obviously is another sensational option. Uh, he's probably not going to let you down. So um, Melbourne, sorry, Gorn against uh, Draper is another potential vice-captaincy option if you're feeling really risky. So yeah. Um, I think it's a good week. Good week for vice captaincies. Um, yeah, I would and then hopefully the safety of Neil. I will say, depending on who you're loopholing with, if it's Owens or if it's potentially Hoff or Dixon, if they're out this week, you could still yep. vice captain Neil into someone like yep. Cripps, which Whoa. Whoa. I think you get the best of both worlds kind of in that way. You, yeah, you're probably taking Neil in that sense. Though. Most that's, that's why I like the boom or bust prior to that but I just want to I mean, take that, that's guy. also a boom or bust <laughs> that's also a boom or bust it's true um yeah no I, I like that as well I think Cripps obviously he's he's sort of set a higher bar now hasn't he um I think that'll pretty much wrap us up Pistol almost almost oh Jamie. you got something else to talk about um I mean look I just wanted to touch touch base with um our friend Will Schofield um, just Ooh. an update on on how his team has gone this this week uh, two yep. two three one seven uh, for Will, which is not too bad into thirty nine k overall. Decent. Still committed to helping him get his first ever top one k victory. So more to come on. Just that just just to say, Will rank doesn't matter in the first probably five weeks. So don't stress if you're uh, no if you worry. His team's in very good shape um, already, having Hewitt. And a lot of the uh, the mid prices, it's more the rookies selection. He's got a couple of stinkers with Saligo, Hoff, and, and Baldwin. I think to take care of in the coming weeks. But other than that, premiums and uh, mid prices are looking pretty good. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do us. I'm going to quickly plug our twitters so you can find myself at JB underscore DRSC at pistol underscore DRSC and at Chizo with a Z underscore DRSC. Once again, obviously we're powered by Code Sports, so a big shout out to them. Um, you can catch you, you can catch can... an article during the week yep. as well. I was just getting I want to cut pistol. you off. Look, the article last week was very good. Um, I'm not sure who wrote it. May have been myself, but you should check it right. out. <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna pump that out, but if you wanna jump in on my big spiel, that's fine. No, that's fine. You can you um, can do it now. Quickly because we didn't mention during the podcast our ranks, uh oh, Pistol, geez. you're about twenty two K. I am twenty two K. I got two three two five, so not too bad but not great. Yep. I am nine K. I got two four seventy, so I got lucky obviously with my well not lucky. Yeah, it was just I lucky. It, but no I skill. got Neil Captaincy. <laughs> um so congrats to me. Thanks again, everyone, obviously, for your donations to the Cancer Council. Uh, very appreciate the anonymous person who, who gave a significant amount of money. We really, really appreciate you. Unknown human that's obviously in our Slack. So really, really 
just cannot say enough how appreciative we are. And then obviously again to the patrons who keep on signing up as the year progresses. A huge shout out to you guys as well for for really getting us to power through this this opening part of the season. And after week two, after week one, I think we're a bit nervous with our structures. After week two, I think we can be a bit settled um, in Slack. I think we're shaping up with a good team structure and just a bunch of good ranks as well. So looking forward to a good season again, Pistol. Thanks everyone for joining us and we'll catch you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.